0: As the Money Burns is an original podcast by Nikki Woodard. Based on historical research, this is a deep exploration into what happened to a set of actual heirs and heiresses to some of America's most famous fortunes when the Great Depression hits. Each episode has three primary sections. Section one is an heir to story. Section two goes deeper into the historical facts. Section three focuses on contemporary, emotional, and personal connections. Story recap. With the summer's end, Young heiresses Doris Duke and Barbara Hutton deal with the hassles of returning to school, while a robust stock market breeds optimism amongst adults Nanaline Duke and opera singer Kobina Wright's husband, Bill. Now back to As The Money Burns, The Last Party. As the long, perfect Indian summer ends, there's one final party to attend. Only the Wall Street crash takes out more than stocks, and all that is known will soon be questioned. Section 1. Story Under the Venetian canopy, the long custom royal purple drapes with embroidered delicate pink roses surround Supreme Hostess and opera singer Kobuna Wright as she gets her last moments of beauty rest before a very busy day. The details of the room, from the painted pink walls to the pink breakfast tray, make a cozy and cheery atmosphere. Kobina beckons her handsome golden husband, Bill, back to bed. They bask in the glow and warmth of renewed love. As a fire crackles in their tiny marble fireplace, Bill cuddles with her as they perfect their evening plans. Tonight, they are hosting the last official dinner party of this long Indian summer. White tie sure to be another in a long line of fabulous events. Several last-minute requests have been made to expand the list, but Kobina remains firm on the count. Their guest of honor is none other than Deems Taylor, who recently finished his opera, Peter Ibbotson for the Met, and visiting singer Noel Coward from London. Snug away from the bitter autumn cold, Bill and Cobina watch from their tall windows as two tugboats struggle up the East River. The telephone rings. Bill gives her one big final kiss before heading off to work. Another day on the stock exchange. This last week has been a little shaky, to say the least. She shifts in her bed and debates pulling down her sleep mask for a few more beauty winks. Her wonderfully attentive English butler, Bruce, retrieves the tray and brings her the phone. Later in the morning, Cabina sits with her social secretary, approving and turning down various invitations to other events. Occasionally, Cabina is interrupted by more calls to discuss the evening details. She fidgets with a faulty clasp on her sapphire and diamond bracelet. Lunchtime follows her daily routine with her curly-headed tot little Kobina. Another telephone ring. Then maid brings her the phone. This time it's Bill. Cobina ushers everyone out of the room for privacy. She hands over her faulty bracelet for repair. When alone, she puts the receiver to her ear. She loves his little check-ins. Immediately, Bill blurts out, Darling, I've got something I must tell you. We have lost everything. Everything we have in the world. Without hesitation, he rambles on. Kobina listens in silence carefully deciding her words and not fully comprehending the situation. Are you all right? Can't you hear me? Did you understand what I said? We're wiped out. Yes, I hear you. Kobina's mind races with all this new information. Too stunned to absorb what all that really means. Or could mean. Everything's gone. The bottom's fallen out. It's happening to everybody. Kobina offers to go to him but he urges her to stay. All she wants is to see him. Touch him. Hug him. Then she would know what to do. How to soothe him properly. Mustering her Oregon pioneering spirit, she reassures him that their love will see them past the challenges ahead. Always an optimist with rose-colored glasses. Then it occurs to him, Oh, we'd better call off that party tonight. No, Bill. From now on, the fight is going to be hard. Uphill. Let's not set a pattern of running away. This evening is bought and paid for. We'll have it. White tie and all. We'll call it the last party. You're right. We'll give the party. I may not get there for dinner, but I'll come as quickly as I can. Still confused in processing their conversation, Cabina informs both British butlers, Bruce and Fred, of the final details for the night. She isn't ready to fully contemplate the magnitude of what might now occur. Mid-afternoon, she crawls up in her bed and stares at the fireplace with no fire. Only ashes. Thoughts rushing around. The rumors of suicides. Jumping from windows. Revolvers to the head. What does wiped out even mean? Could they really end up homeless? After an hour or so rising from her bed... Cobina walks with what feels like cement shoes throughout the Sutton apartment to ensure the evening preparations are underfoot. She looks at the masses of fall chrysanthemums in the living room and over the large fireplace. She places the seating cards amongst the tiny pink Irish elegance roses arranged on the long mahogany dinner table purchased during her European shopping expedition two years before. Cobina sighs at the thought of the charade. Were they being callous? Or cavalier? Is this a mockery of the grave situation? Or much needed comfort before a long winter? Seeing the names of all her friends before her, she musters up the gaiety and hope surely her guests will need now more than ever. Kobina fusses over her makeup and hair at her vanity. She rifles through her jewelry box, all those glittering jewels. She remembers the money she set aside playing the stocks, all their properties and homes. Certainly they have options for survival, before things will eventually turn around. As the guests arrive, Bill has not. The glow of the white candles bathes everyone in a warm romantic light. The twisted beauty of a haunted night. Kobina weaves between all her guests wondering who also is wiped out and who is okay. Can she see through their mask? Can they see through hers? Throughout dinner, Kobina fights back tears as she cordially listens to her guests chatting away. Noel coward on her right. Bill's space? Empty. Young chief executive at the radio station, Columbia Broadcasting Service, aka CBS, William Paley remains bold and confident. Heiress and divorcee, Bertie Vanderbilt, wonders aloud who will be joining her down in Palm Beach during winter. Prestigious French writer, Henri Bernstein, and Yves Curie, biographer to her famous mother, Madame Curie, are the focus of intellectual curiosity. The ever-extravagant Jessie Donahue, dripping in opulent jewels, is no doubt an icon for her niece, Barbara Hutton. Unflappable, Prince Serge Obolensky proves his disarming charm has no bounds. And his wife, Ava Astor, radiates her bohemian restlessness. Film and Broadway star Clifton Webb alternates between sophistication and vaudeville humor, balancing the delicate moods. Only two guests know the Wright's fate that day. Financier, Jules Bosch, and vice president of Guarantee Trust, Willis Booth. They both whisper their admiration at Cobina's brave face in these tough times. Near the fountain, young Doris Duke stands there somewhat unperturbed. Cobina wonders if a fortune as large as Doris's has also vanished instantly. Long after dinner, Bill finally makes his way home and enters in his white finery. His bloodshot eyes, Trembling hands and silent demeanor frighten Cobina as they dance. It is the only way she can be close to him without calling more attention. Sometime during the night, Cobina sings a beautiful aria which New York Symphony maestro Walter Damwush applauds. He later inquires what brought out some new and great quality to her voice. Cobina demurely replies, tears, then hurries away before he can surmise the secret behind them. Bill is the walking wounded barely contained he avoids any conversation and eye contact as he stares into his drink. Nanaling, Duke hovers in concern, but dares not approach, her mind wrestling over the fate of her investments. The last two guests to remain are, of course, the only two who know the truth. Willis Booth offers to buy Wright Lading & Company, only Bill hollowly replies, I'm afraid it's too late for that. After those two leave, Bill and Cabina sit in their empty apartment full of flowers their home of the last two years where they have entertained so many. Hopeful, Kobina breaks the silence. I guess we'll have to start over again. We can make another fortune. Bill shakes his head. It's too late for that. He retires to their bedroom. Kobina stands alone, glancing at the beauty of their home. She is forced to accept their fate. Their ruin. She blows out the last burning candle. Section 2 History and Historiography. Reversals of fortune, of course, go both ways from bust to boom, from boom to bust. 1929 had a lot of them, and by the end of the year, all in the wrong direction for most. The Wall Street crash affected and affected everyone in so many ways, directly and indirectly. Maybe it was a long time coming yet it felt like it happened in an instant. That fateful day, the exact day is fuzzy in recollecting which Friday was the actual party, but does it really matter? About the immediate results of the crash, Cobina Wright recalls, The all-important fact was that the William A. Wrights awoke one morning millionaires and went to bed the same night penniless. Penniless? Worse than that, for the debts were enormous, not only was the past gone, but the future mortgaged. Most of 1929 had been one of surplus and excess, ongoing conspicuous consumption as the end of the Roaring Twenties came at the very end of the decade. Prohibition too had been enforced for ten years. The results, elaborate parties and underground fun raged on. The glorious Waldorf Astoria, the grand luxury hotel of the Gilded Age, closed its door on May 3, 1929, at its Fifth Avenue location. The hotel and restaurant business had struggled from the loss of legal alcohol sales and limitations for culinary taste buds, as well as clientele migrating to further uptown options. Outdated and facing too much competition, the hotel management company sold the name for a dollar to the manager Lucius Boomer, a sentimental gesture. In its place, a new building was erected. Construction began in 1929 and would symbolize the innovation of the future the iconic Empire State Building built on top of what was once Caroline Astor's former home, and later the hotels built to spite her and defend her honor. However, the end of the Waldorf Astoria wasn't an actual end. Like many situations, once people learned of its pending loss, the nostalgia kicked in. By October 28, 1929, papers were signed to start construction on a new Waldorf Astoria at Park Avenue, replacing the former Grand Central Power Station. Even a week after the stock market crash, the financiers decided to move forward with construction. No one realized how dark it was really going to get. Hope was still in the air. For the next year, many thought, hoped, and expected another reversal into the positive would occur. How wrong that would be for most. By 1934, Cobina Wright will find herself at the Waldorf Astoria, but not in the way she would have previously expected, but that story will come in time. Our story has several heirs and heiresses, and a large fortune is not the safety net one would think. So, have you been able to discern their fates, both short and long term? Doris Duke inherited over seventy to hundred million, roughly one billion today. Only the inheritance came at a larger price: the loss of her beloved and loving father, Buck Duke. His death, questionable at the hands of her mother, Nanaline. Nanaline had her sights on the fortune, and blinded by greed, she didn't realize Buck would choose their daughter. Nonetheless, Nanoline is determined to build an equitable fortune to leave her son, Walker. Money has been lost. But to what extent? And if the fortune is lost, will Doris be safer? Barbara Hutton received a third of the Woolworth estate due to her mother's suicide prior to her grandparents' death. Barbara's aunt, Jessie Donahue, is equally wealthy and lives a glamorous life like Barbara dreams. And Jessie's husband, James Donahue, is heir to another fortune. Another aunt, Marjorie Meriwether Post, inherited the massive Post serial fortune, then doubled it with partial assistance from her husband and Barbara's paternal uncle, E.F. Hutton. Stocks are tricky things, and Barbara's stockbroker father, Franklin, has to be careful. While one part of the family loses, the other gains. However, several more obstacles will come to chip away at the fortune. John Jacob Astor VI, aka Jakey, only received $3 million after his father died on the Titanic. His older half-brother, Vincent Astor, inherited the majority of the estate, roughly $70 million in 1912, and their sister, Ava Alice Astor, only $10 million, and an amount more than comfortable for her husband, Prince Serge Belinsky. Jakey's mother remarried, giving up her own stake in the fortune. As he gets older, Jakey intends to live the more gentleman's lifestyle and will try to get a larger portion of the estate, especially as Vincent has no heirs. However, Vincent has other plans and is more concerned with the slums and the poor. Their cousin, Louise Van Allen, is set to inherit multiple fortunes in fairly equal portions to her brothers. Van Allen and Astor by blood and Vanderbilt by marriage. Plus, as descendants of Gilded Age society queen, Caroline Astor, Louise and her brothers are set to marry into more fortunes. Any losses could be balanced and recovered by another. Huntington Hartford II inherited nearly 100 million of the AP grocery fortune. His mother, Henrietta, is trying to buy their way into the social elite. Huntington has big ambitions to build his own equal fortune and not just be merely an heir and gentleman. His dollars might go far during the slim times ahead. James, aka Jimmy Cromwell, is the heir to do family fortunes, though Cromwell and his stepfather banker, E.T. Stotesbury, Stotesbury is a wise financier, despite a later stage investor in the now previously defunct Waldorf Astoria. Have they outwitted the market where others failed? William May Wright, A.K. Bill, is the brilliant stockbroker-husband of opera singer Cobina Wright. Bill's family on his mother's side, the Mays, are Newport Bluebloods with ties to European royalty. His pedigree and wealth runs far, but not far enough to survive the crash. He once had the golden touch, and former pioneer Cobina has fight. Will that be enough to recover from their losses? The Vanderpilt's have already depleted their fortune with one too many heirs. Dowager Alice, her son Neely, and his spendthrift wife Grace are heading for trouble. So will they survive much longer? Those are only the heirs, but there's so many more who are fighting their way to fortune. The losses are severe and some will even take their lives as a result. The crash wipes out fortunes, but even those that survive will face even bigger challenges ahead. Section Three, Contemporary and Personal Relevance. Money is supposed to solve problems. Vast amounts should mean a guaranteed easier path to life. Or so that is what everyone on the outside of wealth is led to believe. No good fortune, no matter how large, is endlessly immune to the forces that would destroy it. Maybe that's something as impersonal as a stock market crash, or possibly something uncontrollable like an illness. Or even more likely, it can be attributed to plain old human error, whether greed or trusting the wrong person. My cynicism is well-earned. I grew up around people making and losing their fortunes, in the blink of an eye, all gone as if only a dream. My brief family good fortune was a minor fraction to much harder times. But its loss scarred my attitude towards money forever. And now this year, 2021? The GameStop stock trades has been an interesting development. The idea of regular people playing with and manipulating stocks. The little guys outwitting the larger hedge funds, costing the latter billions in losses. Just goes to show the volatility and the bizarre mathematics applied on Wall Street. There's more to cover as our story unfolds. Got any questions or guesses? Come visit As The Money Burns via social media. Need help with episodes or characters? Check out As The Money Burns' website for episode guides and character bios. Curious about the history on the first two Waldorf Astoria hotels, as well as little spoilers for As The Money Burns' characters and storylines? Check for my upcoming webinars via New York Adventure Club, www.nyadventureclub.com, and asthemoneyburns.com news and events section for dates. Upcoming news, the F Your Fears podcast will feature an interview with me on March 1st, talking about the inspiration behind As The Money Burns and its storylines. The F Your Fears podcast hostess Ashley Monique Menard dives into topics relating to both creativity and overcoming fears. Want to know what it's like trying to make it in Hollywood? You can find out at the EFFYourFears.com or via your podcast directory. Link also available at AsTheMoneyBurns.com news and events section next when we return to as the money burns their fates have changed but some things will always remain the same every year birthdays come and go will our heiresses celebrate and make a wish for a better tomorrow until then as the money burns is an original podcast written produced and voiced by nikki woodard based on historical research archival music has been provided by past perfect vintage music Check out their website at www.pastperfect.com. Please come visit us at As The Money Burns via Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Transcripts, timeline, episode guide, and character bios are available at asthemoneyburns.com.